Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it is our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We meet every Thursday at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. For more info, go to wearesya.com. There have always been folks that go on and on about the end of the world, and they have all kinds of reasons and motives. Um, But if we're honest, we've probably thought a little bit about that in these last seven months, right? So let's just talk about it. This is Coming Attractions Part 2. It's all about the end times, the last days, the second coming of Jesus. Now, the terms end times and the last days, at least from the scriptures, it represents a time period that actually began with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, with the beginning of the church. But that's not what most of us mean when we use the terms end times and last days. We mean like the end of the world as we know it and the beginning of a new one because of the coming or the return of Jesus, right? When I was in college, my dad owned a a teen center. It had go-karts and a mini golf course and an arcade and a dance floor. And it was the fall of 1996. I was working a party with 100 recent um, high school graduates uh, from a nearby high school. And we were in a room where the dance floor was. And the entire room was surrounded by windows from, from the ceiling to the floor. And a tornado hit. And right when it hit, it like blew in the windows. All the glass came in. I dove under a table and I watched a girl be pushed across the floor by the tornado wind. One of my first thoughts was Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, that Jesus was coming back and it says that every eye will see him. Now, I don't know how like all around the globe, all people can see Jesus at the same time. I have read that quantum physics has shown that giant molecules can be at, in two places at one time. So I'm sure Jesus will figure it out. But I thought in my mind that if he came back and I'm inside, um, how better for my eyes to see him than for him to like rip the roof off with a tornado, right? Here's what we know. The New Testament and Jesus, they proclaim that he will return. But it's the details about that return that are not very clear. So what I'd like to do is I want to share a few things that Scripture says clearly about Jesus' return. But I want to wrap those truths in verbs to encourage us not to simply just believe it, but to live it. So here's the first action encouragement, action verbs. Be confident. Be confident in the second coming of Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus said again and again to his disciples that he would be arrested, he'd be killed, but that the third day, on the third day, he would rise again. And he did that. So theologically, the resurrection is is honestly, it's one of the only things that I'm like certain of. Now, I can't prove it, and you can't prove that it didn't happen, but the historical evidence and the billions of people who've claimed to experience the risen Jesus is overwhelming. And so Jesus said, often he said, that there's a time coming when he will return. So if I'm confident in his resurrection that he said was going to happen and then happened, then trusting his promise that he will return again is actually quite simple. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Paul says, 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when, not if, but when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, this is part two of a four-part series, and next week, part three, is all about hell, right? The What does the Bible say about hell? And we'll look at some questions, questions like, are the wicked or those who reject Christ, are they destroyed forever? Is there punishment and then destruction? Or is hell a literal, never-ending conscious torment? Will God just save everyone? Those are some questions we'll talk about. But then we're going to end with heaven. And one of the things we'll look at or ask is where are Christians who have died now, where are they before Jesus returns, according to the scriptures? What are people like in heaven right now? And ultimately, those are some questions. But for now, because we trust in his resurrection, we can also trust that he will return. According to the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is proof and preview of our own resurrection. It is an an exploding announcement that that it's safe to trust whatever is to come. Whatever the coming attractions are, it's safe because we're safe in Jesus. Resurrection changes everything. Evil doesn't win. There's hope in the midst of pain. So be confident. He's done it before. And then here's the next action. Be humble about the timing and the surrounding details. Like be confident because of the resurrection, but be humble about the timing and the surrounding details of Jesus's return. I think in every generation, there are folks claiming that there's all kinds of signs and those signs point to the end of everything. And often they say it's going to happen right now in our lifetime. And here's a, here's a timeline. Like in the late 1980s, a former NASA engineer, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. And this evidently sold big, right? But it didn't happen. So what does he do? He writes a follow-up book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. Now, sadly, this is like just one mild example. You can, if you want Google, there's all kinds of examples. But here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, he said, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, that's Jesus. No one knows except for the father. So like Jesus, when he was on earth, didn't even know when his second coming would be. And Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 to give us like a parable of sorts. And in verses 42 through 43 of chapter 24, he says, so do this, keep watch, because you do not know on what day I will return. He says, it'll be like a thief in the night. And Paul uses the same imagery in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. He says, church, about times and dates for the second coming, we don't need to write anything because you already know that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Destruction will come suddenly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, Paul goes on, and says that we don't need to be afraid as followers of Jesus because we trust Christ. And because of that, we will not suffer destruction, but we will receive ultimately salvation when Christ returns. He writes that Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when Jesus returns, we can live with him forever. Peter, the apostle, says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
more on that later. But if Jesus, while he was on earth, didn't know the day or the hour, and if it wasn't revealed to the apostles Peter or Paul, it seems that God doesn't want us to know the timing, right? Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, he says, but they deny its power. And then he says, have nothing to do with people like that which I think is the point of that little part of Scripture. But for 2,000 years since, people have read words like that and said, this is describing our generation, our time, our world right now. Or they talk about signs like wars and rumors of wars, violence and religious tension in the Middle East and earthquakes and on and on and on. And listen, I cannot tell you that Jesus is not getting ready to return. But I think I can tell you with some confidence, just looking at history, that these signs that people have pointed to, they've always taken place in human history. And you might be frustrated that I haven't mentioned terms like the rapture or thousand, the thousand-year reign or the mark of the beast. Like when I came to Christ, when I became a Christian at 18, I had no idea how passionate some religious people were about some of these small details or small phrases in the scriptures connected to the second coming. And often these issues in scripture are surrounded by symbolism and metaphor, plus there just isn't a ton written about some of these little details. It reminds me of the way some religious people elaborate in detail about the origins of Satan, the devil, right? When the Bible says actually very little. Look, if these side issues, and I think that many of these, in my opinion, are side issues, some of these details, if they're exciting to you, I, that's great. It's kind of like a hobby, right? But but here's what I think the, the goal is, or the action, is to be humble about the timing and the details. Here's the next action I want to give to you. Don't be shaken by attempts to deceive. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 and 9 through 10, it says this. It challenges us. It says, Do not be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't be, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This man of lawlessness is one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them, the truth of Jesus. Now, is this describing a literal one-person leader or like a group or a government? I don't know. Is it literal? Is it metaphoric? Is it both? I don't know. Is it the Antichrist? That's interesting. The Antichrist. Because usually when we talk about these things, somebody's going to bring that up. The, the idea of the Antichrist has almost become mythological in our religious culture. 
Um, but the Antichrist, the term, is only used four times in the New Testament. All of them are in First and Second John toward the end of the Bible. Here's a definition. This is from Second John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, anyone who says that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, anyone who says that the Son of God did not become a human, is the Antichrist. Like, some of you might be an Antichrist, right? My point is the Bible doesn't tell us how these details play out. Is that time of the person of lawlessness, is that time already happening? Did it already begin in the past? Is it still to come? Is it yes, no, and all of the above? I don't know. But here's how 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 concludes in verse 15, and I think it's it's stuff like this that is the point from the scriptures. It says, with all of this in mind, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teachings of scripture. In other words, don't be shaken by attempts to deceive. Don't get caught up focusing on the wrong things. Stand firm, keep a strong grip on the scriptures. Here's the next action. These last two are really the main two. Here it is. Live out now what you believe about then. Jesus, Paul, and Peter all spoke about the return of Christ. They don't give any exhaustive details, but all of them focus on how we as followers of Jesus should live because he is returning. Jesus in Matthew 24 He talks about some of the end of the age details, the destruction of Jerusalem, which actually happened in AD 70. But then in chapter 25, he ends with how we as believers should treat the poor, the hungry, the immigrant, and those who are in prison. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, after talking about the end times, he challenges Timothy and us to continue in what we've learned from the scriptures. And then he says, the scriptures make you wise for living lives of character, godly lives. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, Paul spends two chapters talking about uh, the last days, the end, the second coming of Jesus. But then he tells believers in conclusion, live at peace, warn those who rebel against God's way, and then help the weak, rejoice, pray, and give thanks, be grateful. And my favorite, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about how no one knows the day or the hour, but then in verse 11, he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, we should live holy and godly lives all the more. And in verse 14, he says, in the meantime, though, live peaceful lives that are genuine. And just to maybe create some intrigue for the next two weeks, when we talk about heaven in two weeks, we're going to look more in depth at this passage, second or this chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, And I'm going to share why I don't ultimately plan on living forever with God in heaven. And I'll share something interesting about the destruction of this earth that might be interesting. And and maybe you'll disagree so much that you won't like me anymore. Um, No, hopefully not. But clearly, to become obsessed about the details and the timing isn't supported by Scripture. The focus of Jesus and Peter and Paul when they're talking about the second coming. The focus is how we are living now. So live out now what you believe about then. And here's the last action I want to give you connected and wrapped up 
in this whole idea of the second coming of Jesus and the end times. And it's this, be amazed. Now, some of us are already amazed at just thinking about some of these things, right? Like uh, the end of the world, the beginning of the next, hell, judgment, heaven. But scripture actually tells us that when it happens, there's something that we will be amazed at. Here it is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. This will happen on the day when the Lord Jesus comes to receive glory from his people. And all the people who have trusted in Jesus will be amazed at him. At the end of everything, you and I are going to be amazed at the person of Jesus. The, the word used here in the Greek, it's literally the word we have created in English for amaze. It's the Greek word thamazo. It means to wonder, to be amazed. At the end of everything, we're not going to be amazed at any kind of battle between good and evil or angels or demons or whatever actually goes down. We're going to be amazed at Jesus, at the one who Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 says is the visible image of the invisible God, the one who created all things and for whom all things were created, and the one, Jesus, the one who holds creation together. How could we be amazed at anything in creation more than the one who created it all? Do you remember the tornado in the fall of 1996 I told you about at my dad's place with all these recent graduates? I finally got out from under the table. We got the kids into a room that was safer, and I, I be, we got some emergency lights as the tornado literally went over us violently. All the lights went out. We put on some emergency lights. I looked at some of the teachers and counselors and and the principal, and no one really knew what to do. So, you know, I was 21 whole years old, and so I hopped up on this pool table, and I just simply shared about hope in Jesus, which is pretty cool. But better than all of that, something happened for me that night, because honestly, I prayed and, and talked about some things, and so many of them prayed very genuinely, like all of them, really, principal, teachers, the kids, but as they left, I'm sure that many of them went back to living just as they had been before the tornado because their life didn't end and it wasn't the end of the world. But for me, something changed because when you get pressed, you leak and you find out what you're made of. And that, that night, like, there's a lot of things I didn't know, a lot of things I still don't know. But that night, I found out that when I got out from under that table, I was afraid, I didn't want to die, but I believed that Jesus loved me. I believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he actually rose from the dead, and that if this was the end of the world or just the end of me, that it's okay. And that's a good kind of pressing. That's a good kind of leak to find out what you're made of. I was also reminded and am still today during this COVID-19 period that a pandemic, a tornado, a hurricane, the loss of a loved one, it doesn't in and of itself change our hearts. Like we often think that like the fear of death or like even things like hell, like some people think like that'll, that'll scare people into like believing the right things or doing the right things. And I just don't know that that's true. I think there's something else. I think we were made for someone else. I think we were made for the one who made us, for the creator. 
I think what matters is the question that Peter asks in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of lives should we live? We should live godly lives. And so whatever you believe about the details that surround the second coming of Jesus, whatever you believe about the signs of the times, whatever you believe about what's going to happen next and whatever other coming attractions, the real pressing question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Are you amazed now? I don't want to just be amazed when he comes back. I want to be amazed right here and right now. I want to live a life of peace. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to live well and treat my neighbors good. I want to love people the way God has loved me. I hope that is your hope today too, my friend. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he give you his favor and may God give you peace. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.com.